Hello there. Are you sure you're in the right place? See the name on the door? This podcast is spine chillers and serial killers. Surely you don't want to come in here. You do. Well, I must warn you that things are pretty adult in here. Absolutely no children are allowed. Obscene language, shocking and horrendous stories to chill you to your core, and terrifying tales that'll keep you up at night. The ladies inside aren't quite right. Lovely and hilarious, but very... strange. Still want in, do you? Well, you'll get what you're here for. Listener discretion is advised. Spine chillers and serial killers. I'm Emma. I'm Becky. <laughs> Whoa. Okay, so we're um, trying out like video, which we don't usually do. And uh, Becky just saluted. <laughs> so yes, that was fun. That was fun. Okay, how are you, Becky? I'm fine until I saluted. On. Are you, are you going to be thinking about that one tonight? Yeah, it's another one of those things. But I just, I'm just not used to speaking on camera. So even if, even though it's just to you today, knowing that other people will see this, maybe. Yeah. It might be. If it goes well, I'm posting it on YouTube and then like the whole world will see you go, hi. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it'll become a meme. Maybe. <laughs> Salute, girl. Oh, dear. I'm glad to be back anyway. I missed not recording last week. Yeah, I'm glad you sound a lot better than what you did last week. And well done to add on your little um, little story. I can't think of the words anymore. It's not an alpaca. What was it? A s- capybara. A capybara. Almost, <laughs> almost an alpaca. Same letters, different Same, word. Yeah, yeah. Actually, one of our listeners, um, Nick, I think it was Nicole. I'm pretty sure it was Nicole. She uh, messaged me and she said that story was awesome, and uh, I should write a book about like all these nice little creatures that horrible things happen to. And I did confess that it was just me entering details into Chat GPT because there was no fucking way I was writing a story with the flu. Um, But she was like, yeah, well, it's a way of the future, you know. So maybe I should write a book. Me and ChatGPT should write a book about, like, unicorns, alpacas, sloths, you know, and just, like, horrible murder, ghosts, and death. A bit like Happy Tree Friends. Did you ever see that? No, I've never heard of it. I'll have to show you it. It's these little happy, look like a, a children's cartoon, but horrible things happen to them all the time in a very violent, murderous way. But oh, shit. Be so, a, it, no, it, it, there was no dialogue in it whatsoever or anything. But um, no, it, that was just a silly YouTube video thing. I think your your idea of your little creepy stories that happen to cute little animals sounds really fun. <laughs> <laughs> Does that make me uh, weird? <laughs> I don't know. I think it's a I, good I mean, idea. 
It depends how you pull it off. When I recorded it, I was like, people are either going to find this fucking hilarious, which was the goal, or they're going to be like, Jesus Christ, she is weird. She's oh, like, no, it was mental. very, very good. And I really liked the, um, even though you were slightly better probably when you recorded it, it was the creepy voice mixed with a little bit of flu and pain oh, yeah, it really brought flu. it out. Yeah. <laughs> I could feel the pain. Raw. Your yeah. vocal cords were going... <laughs> but you pulled it off so well. I mean, I, it's only because I knew you that you could tell that you were a little bit ill, but no, it was great. I think it was one of the best best things that you've ever done on the podcast. <laughs> Which I don't this... mean that in anything for any of the other stories. It was just so just so epic. It was great. Uh, Chat GPT can can put a story together. Yeah. So if you haven't heard that, go back an episode and listen to that. Definitely. Gary the sad capybara. <laughs> oh, yes. Fade of Bless water. Him. <laughs> Bless him. Uh, one of our other listeners, Rochelle, tagged me in something on our Facebook page and it is fucking horrendous. So I'm going to show it because, you know, I can't, I can't look at it and be like, I'm not showing you this. So I'll show you in a minute. It's um, off the top of my head from what I remember. It's this artist that has made all these sculptures and they've all got human teeth. You'll, hang on. Look, you'll just have to look and see. And if you're listening to this uh, podcast and not watching it on YouTube, I will uh, post this to our Facebook page and Instagram. Uh, here we go. Are you ready? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what are they? Well, they're, they're people. Can you see the spines? Yeah. Uh, right, so these are all his sculptures. <laughs> Hang on. Look, look, look at the bum. That's kind of cool. I like that one. What's happening? Is he giving him a caning on his bottom? Oh, God. Yeah, no, I thought he was running away from something. He looks a bit happy to be having a caning. I mean, if he's into that. But is that zooming? Can you zoom? Yeah, I can see. Can I can see, see that? that. I can see everything you're seeing. Your screen sharing is going well. Oh, <laughs> oh, these are terrible. <laughs> oh, they're like the things that come into my nightmares, and they're all like squibbly and like they don't have any bones. No, uh, they're awful. Oh, <laughs> we're doing a close up on the teeth. Why? Why are teeth so terrifying? Oh God. I why are they so terrifying? Are they real teeth? Or Yeah, yeah, they're real human teeth. Where's he getting his teeth from? A dentist, apparently. Or Aww. somebody said they might be dentures, but I don't know. Is what do you think snail? of that one? Is that a snail yeah. in his nose? Yeah. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> I just don't think it's necessary. Human teeth. Anything that's not human with human teeth. Have you seen that fish with human teeth? Yes. Terrifying. Awful. Right. You know what? I'm going to be looking up tonight. Animals with human teeth. You human teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Capybara with human teeth. Oh, no. <laughs> and then I'll have to look up celebrities with no teeth to make myself feel better. <laughs> Is that a thing? Yeah, if you look at celebrities with no teeth and they Photoshop the teeth out and it makes them look very funny. <laughs> if you're ever feeling a bit down, go for that one. 
I'm going to go and do that. Yeah, 100%. Right. Well, that's all I had to show you, really. Um, as I said, we'll have probably cut all that audio out for the podcast, but I will post those pictures. And thank you, Rochelle, because they haunt my dreams. Oh, God. No, it's... um. It got the the blood flowing, ready for the uh, yeah. ready for You're the, the scary. Mood. Yeah, I'm in the mood for a bit of a of a scary story now. Well, that works out well because it's me to start. Did we mention why Tash isn't here? Uh she's um busy and at a meeting. Yeah, she's just busy. I think she started a new job. Yeah. I just can't remember if we said why it was just us two at the beginning of the podcast. We didn't. We just kind of flew right into it. I think we were put off because we were like camera shy. Yeah, and the salute. (laughs) The salute um, distracted us, didn't it? Oh, I've got... um, It's kind of... It's bad, but it's also good. Okay. We got a negative review. This is ages ago and we don't, we don't, it doesn't happen often, thank goodness. And uh, we don't, you know, dwell on them or anything like that. But I just remember in this uh, negative review, I mean, it wasn't that bad, but the lady was saying that she, um, she doesn't like it when people laugh on true crime podcasts. And that's absolutely fair enough. Some people do just prefer the serious, like, um, one host storytelling. I think as soon as you have a multi-host podcast, it's very difficult to keep it in a a serious tone 100% of the time. But she, you know, she was kind of making out that it was disrespectful that I disagree with because I don't think we're disrespectful to the victims whatsoever. Um, Just because we're laughing before and laughing afterwards, you know, we're not, it's not a a sign of disrespect or anything. Anyway, during this uh, review, she said, and this is why I abhor, right? So that's a very strong word, like detests, disgusted, hates this other podcast that I'm not going to name. And anyway, out of curiosity, I looked up this other podcast and I started listening to it. It's amazing. Is it? It's absolutely brilliant. They're not disrespectful whatsoever. They're very funny. Um, you know, they're laughing. I think you've got to make the difference between laughing in the right places, you know, but they're not disrespectful whatsoever. Um, so yes, I was, the, this negative review as A, led me to this awesome podcast and B, I was kind of honored that in this negative review, we were compared to this other podcast that's really famous. And, um, and yeah, that this, one woman hates but there are millions of people who love it so yeah i was quite chuffed with that yeah i mean you can't please everyone oh god no it's because i think some people are so used to when we talk about things subjects like this it's usually very serious and it's on the news or it's on specials i mean it's it's not a nice subject to talk about but i don't know it's like things like a funeral people always still manage to laugh and not obviously at the, at the actual funeral time, but you know, like well, afterwards. No, of course, it's yeah. a not very nice thing. But then you, you try and lift each other up after hearing after this. I don't know if I'm, my um thing is going anywhere. What I'm trying to say, but you know, what I mean, even at sad times, you can laugh. <laughs> yeah. 
No, but yeah, negative negative review, but actually not that negative because we did get compared to an absolutely awesome podcast. So yay! And I don't think yay, and I don't think um, we're disrespectful. No, well, no, I think disrespect is more like if we were laughing at the victims and everything like that. Whereas usually, if we're gonna, you I know, mean, who would who would do that? Like, that's yeah. not a thing. I can't think of any podcast out there that laughs at the victims. It's not a thing. No. Anyway, spooky story time. Yes. Okay, so this case has to be one of the most frustrating ones that I've covered so far. I'm just like, you should have done this or you should have done that. It's got some incredible activity that you rarely see in these stories. And the family had the potential to really do some digging and get concrete information so they could have like got confirmation, really, about what was going on. And they just didn't. But that being said, the events that occurred are completely fascinating, not all the same. Another reason why this story is very frustrating. So basically, I'm starting my story by saying it's shit. (laughs) I'm going to say, you're not bigging it up very well. (laughs) It's not shit. It's just there was There's some frustrating parts. Yeah. Like in a horror film, you're like, don't go that way. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So the family just seems so blasé about everything. So I wouldn't have, like, not only pissed my pants on multiple occasions, but fled the house screaming pretty much from the first occurrence. You'll see what I mean as the story goes on. And so this week, I will be telling you all about the Barini family haunting. So Barini is a fake name, as are all the names in the story. So that was to protect everybody's identity. The exact location of the house is not disclosed either, mm-hmm. which kind of gives it more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Credit? No, more, it's more believable because nobody's making a buck out of this because we don't know where it is or who it is. Yeah. Yeah, they're not turning the house into like a a haunted house that you could visit or whatever. No, it's not a B&B. Nobody's written a book. It's not a film. So I'm going to take you back to the late 1970s, always the 70s. I feel like there's some cracking hauntings in the 70s. Yeah, there's good serial killers as well. It was a, what a time. Yeah, what, what a, a time. time to be alive or not. <laughs> <laughs> or haunt people. Joe Barini moved his wife, Rose, and her two children from a previous marriage, John and Daisy, into his ancestral New England home. The house had been in his family for generations, but Joe had not grown up there, so this was a perfect way for him to get back to his roots. The activity started almost immediately in May of 1979, but not with the scratching or the little bangs that we're used to, no. This activity jumped straight to a disembodied voice. Mm. I do love a disembodied voice. You do, yeah. And it gets even better because it's that one of a little girl. Oh, is that better? Well, it's better because it's scarier. Yes. She was calling out to Rose saying, Mama, Mama, this is Serena. I don't know, is it Mama, Mama? 
Oh, Becky, that's horrible. This is Serena. No one at the time knew of anyone called Serena, but they were all more curious than afraid. This is definitely the first time during this story that I would have been running out of that house never to look back. Yeah. You just, just not, you imagine? not it, is it? Middle of the night. Mama, mama. No, 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 thank you. So Joe asked his family if they had any knowledge of a Serena living in that house. And he learned that his father had lost a little sister at the age of five. And her name was Serena. Oh, God. Yes. It's not a common name, though, is it? No. No, I don't think it is. No. So this would have been, for me, the perfect time to get the family members in the house to communicate with the little girl to see why she was still there and why she was calling out for her mother, who at this point in the story is still alive. But as far as I can see, this didn't happen. And it seems like such a lost opportunity, considering the events that would occur over the next few months. Like, if you said to your dad, oh, there's this ghost talking to us, and your dad goes, oh, yeah, that's my little sister. Wouldn't you be like, do you maybe want to come and talk to her or bring granny so she can talk to her? Yeah. Especially as she's calling out for her mum. Do you not think it's weird that they didn't do that? Well, yeah, a little bit. And that the dad what, the dad was like, oh, yeah, my dead sister was called that and then just walked away and then read the newspaper. What happened after that? Was he just like, yeah. Yeah. Bl- bl- yeah, pretty much. Okay. Odd. Yes. She would call out to the family, so she being Serena, multiple times after that, and it didn't take them long to connect the little girl's beckoning with imminent danger. The first time she was heard was the night before Daisy was due to have her tonsils out. Pretty standard procedure, and yet there was a major complication during surgery which caused Daisy's heart to stop, and she almost died. Baby. The second time Serena called out to the family, Joe's grandma, so Serena's actual mother, had a stroke the following day. Joe was woken up hearing the little girl's voice only to see his wife Rose choking in her sleep. And when he woke her up, she said she was having the most awful nightmare about her ex-husband strangling her. The final time, I didn't know you could choke during your sleep and that's scary. That's, That's not very nice, is it? No. Another thing to be scared of. Yep, just add that to the list. The final time Serena called out to the family was the night before Joe's grandma died. So again, Joe's grandma is Serena's mum. After that, they never heard from her again. It's nice to think that she was reunited with her mother and finally at peace. For Joe and Rose, however, this was not the end of the hauntings. In fact, one could almost think of of Serena as a warmer ghost. Aww. I'm getting ready for, for the big ghost. In March of 1981, Rose was surprised to see a little boy all in white walking around the upstairs hallway of her house. She said that it was like looking through a milk bottle. So I assume he was like blurry. You know, if you look through like thick glass, mm. can you kind of picture it? Blurry and wobbly. Translucent. Yeah. 
Again, Rose stated that she was not afraid. Rose is hard as fucking nails, man. Yeah. Yeah, she wasn't afraid of this apparition and she spent the next two hours watching him come and go in the upstairs bedrooms. So this is occasion number two where I would have been out of there. Never mind sat there watching the ghost boy float around for two hours. No thanks. He didn't appear again for a week. And when he did, he totally acknowledged Rose and asked her, Where do all the lonely people go? Where do I belong? That's a horrible voice, Emma. Why did you do that? That's how it <laughs> sounds in my head. Yeah, that's so, so well, that's very good. You must keep doing it, but it's also very horrible. <laughs> but what a chilling thing to say. Where do all the lonely people go? <laughs> Where do I belong? this is absolutely heartbreaking but also just because i'm that much of a wuss it would have a hundred percent made me shit my pants yeah i think lots of pants would have been shitted by the time we've finished a night in that house can you imagine though you're just watching this little lad float about your house and he looks at you and he's just like lonely people go I'm a bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's horrible. Joe was the next to see the little ghost all in white. He watched him search for something in the floorboards. Once he disappeared, Joe lifted the floorboards to find a medallion of the Virgin Mary on a broken chain. He assumed that was what the ghost was searching for. The family once more asked if anyone in the family had any idea who this lost little soul could be, and they decided it must be Joe's father's little brother, Giorgio, who had died at the age of eight. So, unlucky family, he's lost a sister and a brother. Yeah, and didn't really think to tell anyone. No, like, yeah, never mentioned it to anybody. I've got loads of dead siblings, (laughs) hey-ho. I keep getting scared. I've got a dress back there and it keeps making me jump. I'm like, what are you doing? Where do I belong? Where do you belong, dress? In the cupboard, put me away. I've been on here for 84 years. (laughs) (laughs) Put me away, goddammit. You're going to be worn before you're put away, you slutty dress. (laughs) cut that out (laughs) (laughs) no negativo (laughs) oh dear okay so we've we've decided this little milk bottle boy is Giorgio who died at the age of eight and had been buried in his all-white communion suit but again Joe's father doesn't come and try and communicate with his dead sibling which seems odd And also, why did he have so many brothers and sisters die? One's a tragedy. Two seems to be a little bit suspicious, right? Yeah, and he's the only one that survived. He's not, actually. There is another one. Oh, he's not. Giorgio had a twin brother. But maybe that's why nobody's coming to communicate with the ghosts, because they're all like, shit, they're back. going to tell on me. Yeah. Don't grass, don't grass. <laughs> Snitches get stitches. <laughs> <laughs> you get pushed into the line if you snitch. 
What's that? The light? Don't go over there. Yeah, we'll have to think about that. Maybe it'll pop up later. Could the children possibly have met a brutal end in the house? And that's why they remain stuck inside. Sadly, we don't have the answers to anything because nobody fucking asked. Nah. We do have a family that seems cool with having ghost kids in their house without much of an explanation. Over the next few months, Giorgio would appear to both Rose and Joe and even talk to them about Joe's family members. He once stated that only his older brother could help him, so Joe's father, and yeah. also accused his twin brother, Joe's uncle, of stealing something from the house. Again, perfect opportunity to get both brothers over to communicate with little Giorgio, and yet nothing. To me, this just adds to the suspiciousness of the whole thing. It was almost like the rest of the family wanted nothing to do with their departed family members. Giorgio must have also begun to get frustrated by the lack of help as he went from a peaceful spirit to being somewhat mischievous. He started throwing the receiver from the upstairs telephone at the family. Joe thought maybe this was a sign that he should call his parents and talk about Giorgio. But as he tried to explain what was happening... As soon as he mentioned the little boy's name, the phone would go dead. Rose began seeking help from the family's priest, who told her, just ignore the ghost, and he would eventually get tired and go away. Mm. Yeah, probably not the best advice, you know? Mm. Eight-year-olds don't tend to take lightly to being ignored, let alone dead ones. I know. How many times does my eight-year-old, everybody's ignoring me! Mummy, 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 mum. Look at this, mum. Look at this, look at this, look at this. Watch me, watch me. You're not looking. Look, 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 look. Mummy. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. you, you, don't, you just don't ignore an eight-year-old. Well, you can you can only ignore for so long. So as Rose followed the priest's instructions and ignored Giorgio, he became violent and started slamming the closet door over and over again, trying to get her attention. That's terrifying. Bang, 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 bang. No thanks. No. He also smashed a packet of pasta she was holding out of her hands, making a huge mess all over the floor. Oh, that's so annoying, dropping pasta. Very inconvenient. Because you know you're finding that for weeks afterwards. Yeah, yeah. And it's hard to pick up if you don't have nails. You're like, eh, can't pick you up. I mean, there's brooms, Becky. You don't, you know, no one's saying Yeah, I know, but there's always like one fingers. or two bits. So you're not going to get the broom out again for one bit. You're just like trying to pick it up. So you just shove it under the fridge with your foot. Right. Tell me <laughs> I'm the only one that does this with spaghetti. When you're cooking spaghetti, you always get some of the dry spaghetti on the floor, right? They always There's always a bit that falls. And then when you're hoovering and the spaghetti won't pick up, do you pick up the spaghetti and then snap it so it goes down the hoover? <laughs> or do you or do you just pick up the spaghetti and put it in the bin like a normal person? No, I, I break it and put it in the hoover and then sometimes I have to take it out because it hasn't broken small enough and put it in. Literally insert it into the hoover and hope it doesn't get stuck on a bend. Why do we do it? Why? I don't know. The bin is usually right there, like two steps away. I don't understand why it's a thing. I mean, I didn't even know it's a thing. It's obviously a thing. 
Yeah. Just breaking it up and feeding it down the hoover. When it's just, it would have been easier to put it in the bin. bin. Oh, dear. Oh, no. The family would hear unexplained running all around the house as the little ghost was getting more and more irate at being ignored. Yeah, I don't like that, running, especially kiddie running. I don't like running. running. Kiddie running is adorable when you have kids, but also really annoying. And then also, when you don't have kids, it's just fucking terrifying. Or when you know that the kids are in bed and you're yeah, hearing no. running around, you're like, what the shit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No saluting. No, not saluting dead children running. Mm-mm. Nah. And so they returned to the church to ask for help. This time, two different priests came to the home to bless it and this seemed to appease Giorgio, and he was never seen again. So look at that. The church was like, yeah, you got ghosts? I'm coming. I'll help it. Sorted. Done. Boom. That never happens. Yeah. What were they doing that day? What do you mean, what were they doing? They were <laughs> blessing the house. Yeah, I know, but why were they in a, such a good mood that they came out straight away? Normally they're like, nah, nah. Well, we, don't, we, we have don't. to ask the Vatican, and and we have to come over. But you know, it might not work. But this time it did. Yes, did it work? It worked for Giorgio. Mm. In June of 1981, after a mere few weeks' peace, the family began seeing the most terrifying apparition. Ugh. A caped. You know, it's not good when it starts with caped. No. A caped hunchback with exceptionally large feet. What, Quasi? Quasi was there. Quasi. Quasi murder. <laughs> yeah. They asked it to identify itself multiple times, only ever to receive the answer, I am a minister of God. It wasn't just his hideous appearance that made the family doubt that statement, the statement that he was a minister of God. Yeah. His behaviour was violent and evil. When Rose would try and pray, it would shout obscenities at her to try and break her concentration. Joe, Rose and her 15-year-old son would all be hit with various objects being thrown by unseen hands. Rose was hit in the head by the telephone and the lamp by her bed. The spirit also had incredible strength and was able to move furniture around the house. A bookshelf that lived upstairs was mysteriously found at the bottom of the stairs, as was the young daughter's desk. The caped figure also liked to play with the attic hatch, one of those pull-down staircase thingies, yeah? Yeah. Go on. No, no, I was just going to comment on, I wonder how often that those go a bit wrong, where they pull the, the pulley thing and the stairs just fall out on people. Hopefully not very often. No, no, but they always look really cool on, on the uh, on the films. I've never had one that pulls down with stairs. No, it's not. I don't think we have those very much in France. And they don't look cool. They look terrifying. If you see one of those in every single horror movie. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, okay. So this minister of God liked p- playing with the hatch and he would pull it up and down, and up, and down. But he would do it so hard that it actually finished by cracking the ceiling. Has he got a name? 
he is a minister of God. Ah, he's just, just, just a minister of God then. Okay. Joe saw Rose getting dragged out of bed multiple times and levitated in the air before being dropped on the floor. She would be covered in bruises after these attacks as if something with great strength had held her ankles and wrists. I feel like maybe I'm repeating myself here, but why are we not leaving? Maybe I'm just a massive wuss, but I mean, okay, yeah, I know I am, but this is taking it too far in my opinion, like just picking people up and chucking them out of bed. It's not on, is it? It's, it's not. rude. I mean, yeah. It, it's, it, yeah, it's very rude. <laughs> it's got it is no rude. manners. It's terrifying and just, just horrible. Like in bed, like I've said, I've said it a million times. From when you're in bed, you're safe. Like, it's murderers your safe and place. that sh- should should be should be not allowed. Like, oh, she's in bed. Yeah, right. it's her space. I must respect her space and her boundaries. 100%. 100%. I'll come back and murder another day. When she's not in bed? Yeah. I'll be waiting. (laughs) With my knife. (laughs) So one evening... (laughs) Kim Weirdo. One evening, the freezer door flew open, whacking poor Rose straight in the face and knocking her out cold. Now, I giggled, but... It's not funny. Once <laughs> you don't have to, you don't have to defend your laughing about things because I kind of saw it in a Looney Tunes way. Where well, yeah, like, like boom, like stars round her head. Yeah, little birds. Wee, 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 wee. If there was any doubt that this ghost had it in for Rose, it was now gone. Rose, Rose is just the target nearly every time and she's not even part of the family by blood she's just you know an add-on yeah it was blatantly targeting her unlike serena and giorgio no one knew who this hunchback figure could be he started to attack rose during an evening meal in front of the whole family they saw rose's arm being twisted behind her back and her head yanked to one side so quickly that it caused her to choke. Yeah. But the worst was yet to come for poor Rose. One day, just after Joe had left for work, the night shift, of course, a loud banging resonated around the house. It was the Barini's bed that was jumping up and down at least two feet off the ground. At the sight, Rose ran to the door, only to have it slammed in her face. She was stuck inside the room as the bed was being tossed around like it weighed nothing. The family's dog was aggressively barking and growling, which seemed to make the door open. But as she fled onto the landing towards her children's bedrooms, both doors slammed shut and she was dragged back into her room by invisible hands. It began choking her and scratching her all over. She managed, by some miracle, to crawl to the phone and call Joe, begging for him to come home. He did, as quickly as he could, and when he arrived, the bed was still jumping up and down and he found his wife covered in scratches and bruises, shaking in the corner of the room, holding a crucifix. This extremely violent attack was still not enough to convince... I was going to say, what? what? (laughs) You'd be out. You'd be out that night. You'd have been out before. But come on, bed bouncing around, scratchy wife. What's going on? Still, it was not enough to convince the Barinis to leave, which just, like, dumbfounds me. They stayed for one 
last event. It almost seems benign compared to what Rose had just lived through, but the family got up one morning to find a very large kitchen knife stabbed into the kitchen counter. They took this as direct threat on their lives and finally left the house. But only for a month. They asked a priest to exercise the house and it worked. So they moved back in and nothing ever occurred again. Bizarrely, once all the activity had ceased, it was then that Joe asked a paranormal research group to come and do an investigation. They, of course, came up empty-handed as the exorcism had cleared the house of its ghosts, but the group did manage to find witnesses, neighbours, priests and family members to corroborate the Barini's haunting. This story left me with so many unanswered questions, but I just had to cover it as the apparition's interaction with the family are not something I've come across before. I'm going to say that was super violent, wasn't it? It's just like, boom! Yeah, it's normally like banging and and things floating around and like gradually getting scarier and scarier. But this kind of went from like a two to a ten in in like a night. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just had to. I mean, that hunchback. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna be thinking about him tonight. Yeah, with his big feet. Oh, and his hunt, his cape. Yeah. Oh, from behind, you just kind of see this cape walking away. (laughs) Right, go on then. Over our little Christmas break, I'd kind of written down quite a few cases that I want to do. Or little thoughts like, oh, I must look into this. Like a little thought will pop into my head. Yeah. Oh, better look that up. Did you put it in a notebook? No, but in like a little folder on my computer. Oh, I see. Or Or on the notes in my phone. So um, I'm kind of here, there and everywhere. There's notes everywhere. Because if it's on paper, I'm just going to instantly lose it. I lose my phone all the time as it is. What popped in my head one day was, because I was watching a horror film, and I was like, why in nearly every other horror film does a young couple get killed while they're in Lover's Lane? Or like when they're just chilling in their car, and then all of a sudden there's a murderer and they all get killed. Why? Why are we obsessed with that? That's true. That is true. Because so many books, so many films. So I decided to try and find maybe there was a little bit of truth behind it that that kind of started that off. Like an urban legend type. Yeah. So the following story is what may have helped inspire many films and books and urban legends. I'm not saying this was the first to happen. But uh, it was a a famous case. And good for you, Emma. It's an oldie, so you don't need to worry about anyone coming back to get you. Don't like the recent ones where they're still alive. Don't like it. Yeah. No, no. So it's not from the 2000s. It's uh, 1946, actually. That's a comfortable time. Far enough away that maybe everyone, maybe this person isn't here. At around 11.45pm on Friday the 22nd of February 1946, Jimmy Hollis and his girlfriend Mary Jane Larry, or Larray, actually Larray, parked on a secluded road just outside... Oh, I meant to look up how to pronounce this name. 
<laughs> this this uh just give it Texarkana. your best shot yeah just part they were part just outside Texarkana, texas so i haven't seen a movie together where where do a couple of early 20 year olds go love us to have a bit of a mooch so um, a, s- a smooch a smooch and a mooch well if you're mooching you're just kind of like oh look there's a rock over there and there's a nice bench. Should we have, should we have a sit down? You know. Oh, look, you can see the moon. You know, that's a mooch. <laughs> oh, when I said it, I was like, she hasn't noticed. I'll just carry on. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm very unforgiving. <laughs> so, yeah, have a bit of a smooch, even. The lover's lane in their area was about 300 feet, so 100 meters. Everything's in feet and meters in my story today. Just to make sure everyone's included. 300 feet, so nearly 100 meters from the last row of city homes. So it's just outside of the little town. Yeah. Just far enough away to get your smooch on. To get your smooch on. <laughs> yeah. Around 10 minutes after they'd part, they were both startled by a beaming light coming in through the driver's side window. Someone was stood at the window shining a flashlight into the car. Nightmare. Jimmy, thinking it might be the police. Popo. Better, better get out of this car and show them that we're just... Uh, we're not naked or anything. Yeah, not doing anything, you know, wrong. Just chilling. So Jimmy steps out of the car. And when he kind of looks up, he sees a very sinister looking man wearing a white cloth hood over his head. Oh, with God, no. two slits cut for like eye holes. What, like the KKK type? But, thing. No, not pointy, but like almost like a tea towel, but around a hood with eye eye holes put, uh, cut out. But I was in scared, slits. and then you said tea towel, <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> no, a, a white cloth, so like KKK, but. No, no point. No point. Okay. Yeah. So Jimmy, Jimmy's a bit like, what, what the hell? Yeah. So he ordered Jimmy to stand at the side and he ordered Mary out of the car. Then he told Jimmy to take off his trousers. Oh, God, no. Yeah. So Jimmy was a bit like, what the hell? Kind of bent down. And that's when the guy in the hood got his gun out and smacked Jimmy over the head. As he did so, Mary heard a very, very loud pop. Shit. And she thought that he'd been shot. Then the attacker turned to Mary and said, you run away now. So she starts running towards a ditch, like, and he said, no, don't run that way. Run that way towards the road. Bossy. So, yeah. So, well, she did what she was told. She started running. You would. As Mary's running for her life up the road after just seeing what she thought was her um, boyfriend being murdered, Mm. she eventually sees a car that's parked at the side of the road and she goes to see if there's someone else sat in it. No one's in the car. So she, like, lifts her head up from looking in the vehicle and turns around and white cloth man is stood right behind her saying why are you running oh no but like nightmare turn around oh my god he's right there like in a horror film when they're like when the music goes like that 
don't That's know. That's how horrible it is. Horrible. Horrible, and, horrible. Uh, and said, why are you running? Because you, you fucking running? told me to. Because you're and like... you told me to run this way. Yeah. Jesus. <sighs> oh, no, I don't like it. Trigger warning, as always, with my stories. He asked her why she was running. And she said, you told me to run. You told me to run. That's why I'm running. You know, in a panic. He called her a liar before knocking her down to the floor and sexually assaulting her with the barrel of his gun. What? Horrible. Jesus. Mary, then when he'd finished, he just ran away. And then she ran to nearby houses to call for help. Yeah. So she's, well, I mean, she's not okay, but she she's alive. Yeah. Yeah. What so about she Jimmy? Had to run for quite a long time. She she ran for nearly a kilometer to a nearby house. So she ran. She woke up the people inside, who then phoned phoned the police. Meanwhile, Jimmy hadn't actually been shot. He regained consciousness and managed to flag down a passing motorist, who also called the police. Within thirty minutes, sheriffs were on scene, but the attacker had obviously already left by then. Mary was hospitalised overnight for a minor head wound and Jimmy was hospitalised for several days to recover from multiple skull fractures. So that pop that Mary heard was actually Jimmy's skull breaking as he was being hit Fucking on the head. Fucking hell. And that's why it was so loud because it was it was just his skull cracking. Absolutely horrific. Horrendous. So police came and interviewed them. They both agreed that the assailant was around six feet tall, but obviously they couldn't get a look good look at him because they were scared out of their minds. He had a hood over his head and it was dark and he was shining a flashlight in their eyes for the beginning of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they didn't really get a good description. They kind of disagreed on the ethnicity of the person because... Jimmy Jimmy said that he looked quite dark, possibly African-American, whereas um, Mary said, no, he just could have had a tan. Yeah. They didn't know. They just didn't get a good enough look at the, per- yeah. at the attacker. Law enforcement were actually complete dicks and challenged Mary's account of the attack, believing that, that they knew who their attacker was and they were just covering for him, which, why? And then also, they did it in like a victim-blaming way. Uh, just, I, I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking. That makes zero sense. Zero no. sense. They were like, hey. Almost as if like, oh, what were you doing in Lover's Lane? It's your fault. Yeah, no. Young people out late at night, even though he was 25. And she was in, uh, she, I think she was 19, so. Gro- you know, they were adults. adults. Yeah. Yeah. Mary actually moved back, like moved away from the area because she was so traumatized about what happened. And then also the police were just being assholes about it and be like, you know who it is. Tell us. That's so weird. Very odd. Very, very odd, like you say. Jimmy Hollis was trying to tell police, look, we don't know who attacked us, but I've got a feeling that whoever he attacks next is just going to kill. He's not going to let them go. And he would not be wrong. Oh, God. 
on the morning of Sunday, the 24th of March, on US Highway 67 West in Bowie County, a local lorry driver saw a, a car parked just off the road. It's on, on another lover's lane, but they were really parked close to the main highway. He decided to check on the motorist to make sure that everything was okay. The lorry driver thought that maybe they'd stopped the night before and just maybe slept in a little bit too long and, you know, just in case it's it's not very good to have in a car parked so close to the main to the main road. Mm. So when he approached the vehicle expecting to see maybe a little bit of a hungover person in the pass in the in the driver's seat, he saw a man called Richard L. Griffin, who was 29 years old, slumped in the driver's seat with two uh, gunshot wounds to the back of his head. Ooh. In the back of the vehicle, wrapped in a blanket, was the dead body of Polly Ann Moore, who was Richard's girlfriend of six, of six weeks. She was only 17. Oh, shit. Yeah. Baby. I know. A blood-soaked patch of earth near the car suggested to police that maybe they had been killed outside of the car and then placed back inside. The investigation was compromised by overnight rain and a crime scene that wasn't locked down by, by law enforcement because this is the 40s and they didn't really do that back then. Yeah, yeah. That also allowed curious locals... And oblivious officers just to walk all over the crime scene. Yeah, yeah. Everyone, round up, round up, come and look at the crime scene. Come and look at this blood and put your footprints in it. Yeah, yeah. Although a 32 cartridge was recovered at the scene, so. Yeah. So following these murders, police launched a citywide investigation along with the Texas and Arkansas police the Texas Department of Public Safety, who oversees the Texas Rangers. And it was the Texas Rangers that had been bugging Mary earlier on, you know, yeah. about not She knew not who saying, it was. Yeah, she knew who her attacker was. So it's the people that are the boss of those guys. So a little bit more serious getting involved now. The Miller and Cass County Sheriff's Departments and the Federal Bureau of Investigation, so the FBI, they even got the FBI involved now. Then a few weeks later, on the 14th of April, Paul Martin, who was 17, picked up his friend Betty Jo Booker, who was 15, at the local VFW hall where she had been playing saxophone with with her band. It was after 2am when they drove off and it was the last time that the two would be seen alive. Oh, fuck. When Betty Joe didn't come home, authorities were alerted and a search parties were organised to look for the missing couple. Paul was found first, his body lying by the side of the road. He had been shot four times with bullet holes in his face, left shoulder, right hand and the back of his neck. His car was recovered a mile away, abandoned with the keys still in it. Betty Jo's body was found later that Sunday, two miles away in a wooded area. She had been shot once in the head and once in the chest. Her saxophone would later be found uh, nearby by law enforcement. And local residents were starting to be- were beginning to realise that these crimes weren't just failed sexual assaults or robberies gone wrong. And then it was determined that the same thirty-two automatic Colt pistol 
had been used in both murders. Mm. They'd found, like, you know, the, the bullets at the scene. It was the same gun. Um, and then fingerprints found at the scene didn't match the victims, so they'd kind of matched that as well with the previous murder. It was obvious that something bad was happening in the area. They'd got themselves a real situation. I'd say they've got a serial killer. Yep. The last murders, the Paul Martin and Betty Booker murders, greatly alarmed the public to the likelihood of a serial predator. The deaths of these two church-going teenagers completely shocked the community. Betty Booker had been a popular high school junior and sorority member. An officer of her high school band, a winner of a scholastic... I don't know what that is. Scholarship? No, it says scholastic. Maybe it is scholarship, but it's just spelled wrong. She's won loads of musical prizes for her saxophone playing. It's just like a little little miss uh, doing everything right in her education. Yeah, nailing it, nailing it. Yeah, yeah, that's the word. Her high school ended early, ended classes early on the day of her funeral and hundreds of young people attended their funerals. Curfews were set for businesses in an attempt to keep people off the streets at night. And it was additionally at this point that the killer was dubbed the Phantom Killer by the local media. Friends, acquaintances and several suspects were questioned by investigators. And investigators were working 24-hour shifts. They were really trying to find who this is. Um, Suspects were even brought in as far as 100 miles away. They really spread out trying to Mm. find. One detective, Detective uh, Gonzalez, tried baiting the perpetrator by recruiting teenagers or young-looking cops to sit as decoys in parked cars while officers waited nearby. And then sometimes they had like a mannequin for the woman or someone with a wig on, just trying to trap this guy. Yeah. Unfortunately... As it's like quite small town area, the rampant spreading of rumours fed the panic uh, that locals were feeling and made the police investigations more difficult. And on the 18th of April, Gonzalez, the detective Gonzalez, held a press conference to dispel rumours that the murder murderer had been caught. He also stated that the rumours that had been circulating among the public and the newspapers were a hindrance to the investigation and harmful to the innocent persons. There was quite a few incidents with vigilantes as well, nearly getting themselves killed. Luckily, they didn't lynch anyone either, because that could have been a thing. Mm. But they nearly got themselves killed a few times because they were going out in their cars trying to find this killer. But the police thought they looked suspicious and they well, were like, yeah. hmm, let's follow these guys. But the police are all in unmarked cars because they're trying to find him. Mm. So there's the whole, we don't want to stop for this weird murderer, but it ends up being the police. So it's like, get on the floor. And it's like, we didn't know. <laughs> you know, so it was a lot of uh, explaining to do. So the police were like, no, please just stay home. Someone's going to end up getting killed at some point because people were that on edge. On the 3rd of May, as the clock struck 
9 p.m. Farmer Virgil Starks, which is a lovely name. I thought, I bet this guy was amazing. I was just thinking, Virgil, love it. Yeah, Virgil Starks. Virgil Starks. What a cool name. And he's a farmer. So he's just ticking everything in my book. (laughs) So Virgil was sat in his chair in the living room reading a newspaper. The rural tranquility surrounding him was shattered by a a deafening crash. Virgil was engrossed in his evening read and barely had time to register the, the sound before the chaos ensued. His wife, Katie, had been in bed when she heard the the sound of breaking glass, so she jumped up and stumbled into the living room, where her worst fears were realised in an instant. There, bathed in the sickly go of lamplight, sat Virgil, his once steady frame now slumped unnaturally, blood pooling beneath him. Oh, Virgil. Yeah. Two dark, gaping wounds marred his temple. He'd been shot twice in the head from outside the window. Before Katie could even comprehend the horror unfolding before her, she was also shot twice in the head. Oh, my God. This guy, right? That's completely different MO. Yeah, so it is a slightly different MO. But miraculously, despite being shot in the head, Katie didn't die. What? She was kind of grazed, so she started crawling across the floor. Go on, Katie. And then she could hear this attacker breaking in through another window. So she was like, I need to go. He's going to get me. This is a nightmare. So, again, horror film. Absolute horror film. all, All of these. Um, so she start, managed to get to her feet and fled out the front door. She ran barefoot across the street to the home of her sister and brother-in-law, but no one was home. Oh, so fuck. she managed to run a little bit further along to a neighbor's house and she managed to gasp Virgil's dead and then fell to the ground. She was rushed to a hospital and survived. And also, the neighbour, uh, the way that he alerted his neighbour was to fire, like, a warning shot in the air. So I wonder if they'd, like, or oh, if anything happens, I'll, like, I'll fire a warning shot and you've got to come and see what's going on. <laughs> so it's the most American thing in the world. Poop, poop. But uh, kind of cool, though. But, oh, yeah, super cool. I bet he yeah. looked and felt very cool doing that. I reckon he deserved to feel cool. Yeah, absolutely. He got poor Katie in and and looked after her until medics got there to help. She was sent to hospital and she was fine. She uh, actually continued living in, in the area until her death in 1994. So she lived on a long time. Wow, Liv- living in the area as well. I mean, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was just all she knew. I don't know if she lived in the same house, but she lived in the same area. Yeah. Yeah. With this other murder, hysteria grew in the days following. Well, you're not safe anywhere. Well, yeah. It's even worse. Yeah. 
Not, uh, you can't, don't go near the windows. I mean, uh, yeah, it's just I'd horrendous. Be I wouldn't send the kids to school. I no. would. Oh, there'd be no toilet paper left. It'd be COVID f- times a million. Yeah. Blinds down. Uh, yeah, blinds down. Lock door. No one near any windows. That's how it'd be. Horrendous. Horrible, horrible. So... There was constant media coverage of the increased police activity. Constant media coverage randomly spreading rumours around, just as bad as the locals. The Taxicana Gazette, so the local newspaper, stated on the 5th of May that the killer may strike again at any moment. Oh, yeah, that's helping. That's helping. At any place, at anyone. So that was great. Well done. Everyone's a target. No one's safe. Be afraid. Yeah. For weeks, police were inundated with reports of prowlers. One officer stated that nearly all of these reports were just a result of the wild imagination, people being on edge, people reporting things that they would never normally report and just being really overly suspicious. But I was saying... You would. Yeah, you would. Yeah. Once trusted neighbours now viewed each other with suspicion, every unfamiliar face became a potential threat lurking in the darkness. The once trivial act of leaving doors unlocked now seemed like a reckless invitation to death, prompting a frenzied scramble for security measures, from hastily barricaded windows to makeshift weapons clutched in trembling hands. Bloody hell, you've gone, you've gone poetic. Yeah, just for this last bit. <laughs> I like it. The residents of Texarkana transformed their homes into fortresses. Well, each and every one just totally on edge. I mean, understandable, and I would be right there barricading myself in. Yeah, apparently all the gun shops in the area sold out. They yeah. sold out of ammo and guns. And then that police officers did not publicly connect the Jimmy and Mary attacks, the first attack where they survived. Yeah. They didn't officially connect those to the murders until the 11th of May, the day after Texarkana Gazette published an interview with Jimmy. Right. Because Jimmy was like, what the fuck? We've been trying to help since the beginning and they're not listening to us. They keep saying that we know who attacked us and we've told them no. Mm. No, you know, so that's when Negativo. they were like, oh, I suppose. Yeah, negativo. <laughs> that would never not be funny. No, <laughs> I don't. Why did I even say that? I don't know. You just that. came out with it one day. You're just like, <laughs> negativo. <laughs> um, so throughout the investigations of the Phantom Killer case, Almost 400 suspects were arrested. I'm going to yawn. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Mate, you yawn. Are you going to yawn? No, I'm actually, I think I'm good. I think that I'm means good. you don't have empathy for me. <laughs> You're not empathetic. It's because I'm thinking I'm going to have to fucking edit that fucking yawn out. <laughs> <laughs> fucking bitch. <laughs> Yawning bitch. So, who did it? But I, I don't know. I'm waiting for you to tell me. Well, 
Oh, don't. I'm not going to give you don't. much of an answer. <laughs> oh, no. No one has officially been named. There are many suspects, so I'll go through the suspects that we have. Okay. And then you can kind of give me your theory on it. And I don't like cult cases. It's it's definitely worth covering this one on the podcast. But, yeah. So here's the first suspect. So a guy called UL Swinney. So UL Swinney was a 29-year-old car thief. He was arrested in July by by police because they were investigating the car thefts in the area. And on the night of the Griffin Moore murders, which I think was the first double murders. So yeah, it was um Richard Griffin and Polly Polly Moore. She was in the back of the car, wasn't she in a sheet? Yeah. In, yeah. a, in a blanket, yeah, that's the one. So, yeah, on the night of murders, um, a car had been stolen in the area and had been later found abandoned. Yeah, so they managed to find this car that had been avand- abandoned. They couldn't find U- Lu- uh, UL, but they managed to find his wife, Peggy, and they took her in and was trying to find out about more about these car thefts. And then Peggy would end up admitting that actually her husband, UL Swinney, was the murderer that the police have been looking for. Peggy. Naughty not. We'd just just be like, oh yeah, I'm just gonna gonna give Throw you him all under this information. The, bus. the police thought that her story was not quite finished, like she was trying not to incriminate herself. Okay. So they were trying to verify her version of events because some of it really correlated to the evidence found. So they were able to verify the location of the victim's possessions that had been found and she said that where her husband had discarded them. There was a considerable amount of circumcised? Circumstantial evidence. Not the same thing at all. At all. (laughs) No. Um, But... Peggy's confession was the most like critical part of the evidence against Hewell. But then Peggy would later recant on her confession and was considered an unreliable witness and would not be compelled to testify against her husband because it's one of those things where you don't, if you're a yeah, wife, you, you don't yeah, have yeah, to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Law enforcement officers worked for six months trying to validate Peggy's confession and tie her husband to the murders. And they found out that on the Booker Martin murders, so that's Betty murders, yeah. um, they were both sleeping in their car under a bridge near San Antonio. So Ewell Swinney was never charged with the murder and was instead tried and imprisoned as like a car thief. Yeah. So, sorry, he, he and Peggy were sleeping in a car under a bridge. Yeah, somewhere else they they had proof they were there, that they were nowhere near when the other murders were done, and they right. had definitely linked those two murders. It was the same gun, so he couldn't have done one murder and not the other. And not the other. All right, mm, okay. Yeah. Do we think that Peggy's so, just like, oh, he's a bit of a scumbag. I'm sick of him. Yeah, it's him. Yeah, and probably just didn't want to go to prison herself through because of these are. Uh, I think she was involved in that a little bit. Sleeping under a bridge in a car is a bit weird. I don't think they had a. I don't think they had a house. I think they were oh, okay, sleeping rough, but in cars. So he's ruled out, but he still ended up in prison. 
yet he still ended up in prison. He didn't want to admit anything because he didn't want to be put to death or anything like that, but also he didn't want to admit anything because he didn't want to die for something that he didn't do. So this is the other one. So there's a guy called H.B. Doody Tennyson. So Henry Booker Doody. So his nickname was Doody. Of course it was. How yeah, you not? <laughs> how are you not going to call someone Doody? Yeah. Tennyson was an was an 18 year old university freshman who died by suicide on the 4th of November 1948 leaving behind cryptic instructions which directed investigators to a suicide note in which he confessed to the Brooker, Martin and Starks murders, so the three murders. He said that he had played the trombone in the same high school as Booker, Betty Booker, the 15-year-old, but they were not... player. Yeah, but they were not friends. Investigators were unable to find any other evidence linking Tennyson to the murders. James Freeman, a friend of Tennyson, of Doody even, provided an alibi for one of the for the night of the Starks murder, stating that they had been playing cards that evening when when they heard the news of the attack. So he's kind of out of it as well. Why confess? Yeah, I just think it was such a well-known story at the time. It was so famous that I just think they wanted to be part of it. Mm. A total of nine people confessed to it. Wow. Yeah. Ralph B. Bowman, or Bowman, a 21-year-old ex-army Air Force machine gunner, claimed to have awoken from a, a fugue state or a fugue state. How do you... Say that. F U G U E. Fugue. 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 I don't know. Why did yeah. you write like that? I don't, it, that was from uh, this part here, was mainly from Wikipedia because. Okay. Uh, Wikipedia and your fancy words that no yeah. one can pronounce. So he was in like a. a state where he can't, like, he blacked out for several weeks, apparently. Wow, that is a big blackout. Yeah. He said that he woke up on the day of the Starks murder, so that's the last murder, with his rifle missing. He said that he heard about a suspect, a suspect matching his description and hitchhiked to Los Angeles, feeling that he was running from murder. And on the 23rd of May, he told Los Angeles police that he thought that he might be the phantom killer. I am my own suspect. That's a weird thing to say. Ominous. And that just sounds like someone trying to get attention as well. Mm. I mean, if there's nine people that have confessed, that is a lot of attention whores. Yeah. Police arrested him because why wouldn't they? And um, well, yeah. when Gonzalez, so the detective on the case, came down to see him, and he said that several parts of the man's story just had very little basis in fact and didn't match up to the evidence found. He had actually been discharged from the army for being a psychoneurotic. So for, for psych reasons, he was let go. Yeah. And he had previously confessed to killing three people in the period of three days which didn't match the timeline of the killing. So he's kind of like, he's like admitting to murders left, right, and center. Yeah. 
none of them stick with the facts. There were many other suspects, including a German prisoner of war, a hitchhiker. One of the more interesting ones was a person called Sammy, which is a pseudonym for this well-known, very well-to-do person in, in the town that police didn't want to release the name of. So they had them as a suspect, but didn't want to release their name because it would ruin their reputation. So they just kept him under this fake name. And they looked right into this person, but he had alibis and everything. So that one was the most interesting one to me, because that sounds like someone, because of their status of whatever it was, has managed to get away with it. Yeah. But then maybe whoever did it died, because no other murders were committed after this. There was a few similar attacks, but they were uh, a lot later on and uh, very different, not the same gun, not the same fingerprints or anything like that. So, you know, they just, um, I mean, I know that fingerprinting back in the 1940s wasn't, they took the fingerprints down, but there wasn't like this, well, computers didn't exist, so they didn't well, have no, a big database. Well, no, there wasn't database. a database, yeah. yeah. So it, it was just never found. So lots and lots of rumours, lots and lots of theories, but no justice for the people that have been murdered or attacked. That's awful. And, yeah, I know you said it was in the 40s, but that person could still be alive. Let they could be, like be in their 90s. Yeah, yeah 90s, yeah. yeah so 90s, potentially or even their still hundreds. alive. Yeah, potentially, but... Well, they are, for me, that they moved. They either moved to somewhere completely different, or they could have died, or something. You don't just, well, just under two month killing spree, and then stop. Stop. No, I find it difficult to believe that there weren't other murders, especially with that last one being such a change in mo. You know, I'm sure there were there because again, we're talking about the forties. You know, the police probably didn't communicate brilliantly with each other. No, it was all um, in the same town kind of thing. Apart yeah, from I know. The, yeah, I know that yeah. was all in the same town. But Oh, yeah, with uh, elsewhere. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not convinced that that was the end of it. I mean, possibly not. And that's how Bundy wasn't caught for ages because he kept moving around. Um, yeah, you know, kept attacking people in certain places because they just didn't speak yeah. to each other. If we're talking about America, it's huge, you know. Um, well, like it's like the bigger than Europe, isn't it? Well, it's, like, it's very, very big. Uh, and then if you think that if just in the UK, if someone did a murder in the north and then not, and then the same in the south, that's still another end of a country. It wouldn't systematically be connected, no. No. And then think how many times Britain you can fit a, a, the UK into America. And it's just, it's just mental how massive. Yeah, I can see why they don't all speak to each other when you think of how many murders there are. So, um, yeah. Well, and yeah, they because were... what's saying that there wasn't another killing spree somewhere else and then another killing spree somewhere else but he was changing mo and you know yeah. like the hood thing that only popped up once didn't it? i yeah, mean i but... suppose the everybody was dead so they couldn't exactly say but 
Oh, no, Katie. Katie survived. Yeah, she, she was didn't... shot in the head and then she ran out. So I don't think she'd get a good... She's, she didn't she just, see She him. didn't get a good look at the, the killer. I mean, it could all be the same person apart from the last one. That could have been like a copycat person wanting to be famous and just shot someone through the window. Uh, or it could be the same person who just slightly changed their MO because no one was out at night anymore. So they Did they find the bullets on the last murder then? Um, I don't think it was the same gun either. So some people are saying that the last murder wasn't anything, wasn't the same person. Oh, so that's why the MO changed. Yeah. Whereas police believe they were linked. So, But then again, police in the 1940s. Meh. But you would connect to them, wouldn't you? If well, yeah. you've got all these murders going on, you are going to think, oh, I don't know. I don't like cold cases. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, they always make me very, very uncomfortable, even though like it is a very long one. But you can see why this would inspire the Lover's Lane's things in, uh, in films and in books because 100%, it just makes yeah. it worse that the person was never found, which could... When when you think about urban legends and when you think about horror films and the fact that the, the, the killer keeps going and going and going and you don't win at the end, yeah, it just makes it all that, all that more mysterious and all that more terrifying. Yeah, horrible. And I feel really bad for Mary because they were all, like, unsympathetic. She went through this traumatic thing. Yeah, and, everyone and was, was assaulted, like, well, thought her boyfriend got murdered in front of her, and they were like, you know who it is. Is it not a yeah. boyfriend of yours? Yeah, who assaulted me with a gun. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Great. Well, thanks, Bex. No problem. Oh, another th- another thing um, that I found out about this podcast. You know, I was saying that I listened to this podcast. Do you know how they finish their podcast? Keep it weird. Oh, do they? I they have a lot. Do. Lots of podcasts finished with "Stay Safe." Yeah, do they? Yeah, because now, just now stay I'm like, safe. oh my god, does it sound like I stole it? And I didn't. <laughs> I well, didn't no. steal it. Well, if we said the exact same thing as someone else that's that's why it took us ages to figure out because we were trying to figure out something that no one else does say to our knowledge and, they're, they're, and, they're, and they say it and they yeah say well it. Anyway, a bit weird is, is 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 something that you'd say at the end of a true crime podcast like oh stay weird people mm. yeah you know yeah but we you know we kind of we we have to say three things because there's three of us we all have to there's join three in. of us yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was like, what, what else could I say? Continue being bizarre. <laughs> it doesn't have the same ring to it, does Conti- it? Continue being bizarre. Being Kill bizarre. Kill us not other people in. <laughs> Negativo to killing. <laughs> Negativo on the killing. Negativo on the killing. Right, no, I think we've just got to keep saying what we've been saying for the past four seasons. Yes. Our 100th episode is coming up fast. Oh, this is God. The ninth... the what? Yeah, I know. I think this is the 91st. Oh, wow. I know. We might have to, like, try and plan a little summit special. We'll have to forward plan and try and get this done, be a bit more organised. Oh, I mean, we are brilliant at forward planning and being organised. As Christmas and Halloween 
Halloween proved. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've got a good, um, I've got a few good stories for Halloween that I'm keeping for Halloween. Oh, <laughs> for next well, you'll year. have to remind us. You'll have to remind us that actually when we record, it will come out at Halloween. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's that. It's that because I'm like, oh, yeah, we'll do that for Halloween. I was like, oh, well, Halloween's tomorrow and we haven't recorded and it takes like yeah. days for the podcast to be edited. So, yeah, it that's not going to happen. Yeah. 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 Right. Shall we pop off? Yep. Right. So. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode. Um, if you did, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or um, a review. That would be even more amazing. You can also rate us on Spotify. Don't hesitate to follow us wherever you're listening so you get updates whenever a new episode is released. You can contact us on all our social media at SCSK. K underscore podcast or find us on Facebook just under Spine Chillers and Serial Killers. You can also email Becky uh, with any of your ghost stories, true crime suggestions, anything really, even if it's just to say hi, and that's at chillers.killers.pod yeah. at gmail.com. Whoop whoop. There we are. Whoop. Yeah. Let's go. Right, let's depart. Yeah, let us depart. Stay safe. (laughs) Kill us not. Stay safe indeed. Yeah. Don't kill other people, please. And keep it weird. Bye. 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 It wasn't just his hideous appearance. (laughs) I love that. Appearance. It wasn't just his hideous appearance. It wasn't just... I don't know why I did that. (laughs) You went so high. (laughs) It wasn't just his hideous appearance that made the family doubt that the statement... That did not make any sense. That's completely different MO. Yeah, but amazingly... You've got a little person that's just come into your room. Ah! Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> Sorry, darling. <laughs> I've dropped my water bottle. Hello, darling. Oh, dear. What's this all about, eh? I tried warning you because I was like... <laughs> That's going to be funny. <laughs> Why are kids so freaky? Why are they so <laughs> sneaky? Why are you so sneaky? I'll just go pop her in bed. Yeah, okay, darling. Oh, dear. Bloody children. <laughs> oh, bless her. She was like, oh. <laughs> I think I scared her as much as she'd scared me. <laughs> oh, that was so funny. Bless her. She's like, mommy. Woken up. <laughs>